Lord Jesus, thank you for the honor that it is to worship you this morning. For you are the great king, unsurpassed in beauty and power, and glory be to you, God. Father, we submit ourselves to you this morning and ask, Lord Jesus, that you would have your way. We ask that your kingdom would come, that your will will be done right in this place, in our lives, in our families, in our hearts, as it is in heaven. For there is nothing and no one worth living for but you. We bow down to you this morning. We pray this all in the precious name of the one who gave everything, the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Grace, you may be seated. As I was praying for our time last night, um, God reminded me that he gives us the words when we need the words. So as much as I prepare, I never know what I'm going to say because I pray that it's the spirit of the Father speaking through me. So he gave me a word over here that I want to share with you from 3 John. And this is from John to Gaius. And he says, my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in truth. Can I tell you, Grace Fellowship Church, I love you. But can I tell you something more important? Jesus Christ loves you. He says, it gave me great joy when some believers came and testified about your faithfulness in the truth. Telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. Can I tell you something that gives me no greater joy than when I hear a story of life changed by the grace of God for the glory of God? Do you know that Jesus Christ is in the business of changing lives? How many of you know that? So here at Grace, we want to give you just a little window this morning into what you're giving to when you give to Grace. Gentlemen, you can stand down for a few minutes. You can take a seat, actually. That'll be great. You look like you're ready to march on, I don't know, Sinai or something. I don't know. <laughs> so we're going to give you a little snapshot. You know, Jesse and I, we posted out there in the lobby uh, last week, and we also um, were down in the Dream Center, and we had over 50 people willing to give testimonies just to the glory of God as to what Jesus is doing in this place, in this family. And so there's more coming, and we want to give you a little snapshot this morning before you give to what you're giving to. So just sit back and let's let this fill us with joy because this is what I think the Lord has for us. Deeper growth, greater joy, and unsurpassed generosity. I think for this next season, that's what we're going to see. We're going to see deeper growth. Can you say that after me? Greater joy, joy. and unsurpassed generosity. generosity. Let's take a look at this little video. Good morning. My name is Mike. Um, I learned here at Grace that I can truly be free. My chains are broken. The brotherhood and the sisterhood that have grown in this church that I have here is better than I've ever had in my life. When I came to Grace, I was a Christian for 13 years, but my vision of God was one who was judgmental, and I had to earn His love every day. God has used GFC and its auxiliary ministries like Life Recovery to teach me that God is an unconditional, loving God. Um, I've gone to other churches and 
I walk in, I feel like I have to be perfect to be there. And I don't feel like that here. I feel like I can come here and I can be myself in all of my brokenness and be loved anyway. Uh, since becoming part of Life Recovery here, I've been free of opiate abuse for four years now. I'm involved with the core team, and it's just been absolutely incredible. I'm no longer an introvert. I'm an outgoing person. I've been healed emotionally, physically. God is awesome. Um, Grace has directly affected me through Awaken. Um, the relationships and the experiences I've had are undeniably from God. Um, and I will forever thank Grace and you know, God for that. I am uh, relatively new to this country. I'm originally from Mexico. My wife's American. My kids are binational. So in many ways, I have a second family here. But upon coming to Grace, I've had a renewal of my faith, a re-encounter with God. I feel closer to Him than ever before. And for that, I am grateful to God and to all of you. Thank you. Grace provided us a lot of community. Um, we had a lot of hurt and we needed time to heal. And we came here and instantly found community and family. Uh, got plugged into house church, got plugged into serving once again. Uh, Brittany and I met doing youth ministry and uh, we got plugged into that. And we have more family and friends now than I think we ever have. And I think accountability for both of us and accountability in a body that's consistent and God's just been so faithful with the Peacemakers Pledge for us and the people that he surrounded us with. Uh, three years ago I was going through a significant cataclysm in my life and God brought me to the doorsteps of Grace Fellowship here on the hill and I found a new family and it's been It's been wonderful. That's about all I have to share. Ushers, if you can come forward. Lord, we come before you now and we thank you that you are the greatest giver there ever was and that we can never outgive you. Lord, we ask now that you would bless these gifts. Help our hearts to be filled with joy, Lord, as we rejoice in what you are doing. And God, help us to give with joyful hearts. Help us to give generously, Lord, for everything belongs to you anyway. We're just giving it back to you. And God, we ask that you would use these gifts that more and more would be reached with the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ as we trust you for this next season, Lord to grow us deeper in you, to have us experience greater joy together, and to have your heart of generosity. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You know, Grace, when we watch that video, there's a word that keeps coming to my mind, and that word is victory. God, we are just so humbled and honored that God would use us in this place to bring about victory in the lives of these people, amen? 
And he's doing that all over this place, and we believe that he wants to continue to do that this year. And so we're going to sing a new song this morning. I'm just going to teach you the lines of the chorus, but this is just a declaration of who our God is, of his awesome power, and what we believe and what we're praying for for this year, for this body. This is the chorus. It says, I'm going to see your victory. I'm going to see your victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. And I'm going to see your victory. I'm going to see your victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Would you sing that with me? I'm going to see your victory. I'm going to see your victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. I'm going to see your victory. I'm going to see your victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Yes, amen. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. Oh, my God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. And I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the
Ushers, if you can come forward with the offering. Grace Fellowship Church, if you'd be willing to hold out a hand towards these baskets. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the great giver. We commit these gifts back to you now in the name of Jesus. And we ask solely that your will will be done. That your kingdom will come. More lives would be changed, Lord, for your glory, for your glory alone. Not for ours. For you are the one who is building your church. And you have told us the gates of hell will not prevail against you. So Lord Jesus, help us as a body in this new year to rise up, to trust you in a whole different way. Thank you for your faithfulness. We praise you that your mercies are new every morning. We pray this all in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, Grace Fellowship Church, have you already stood and greeted this, each, each other this morning? Um, do it again. Do it again. Go ahead, do it again. 
light up a little bit more? Hey, Scotty. The lighting's a little dim. More light. Hey, Brother Tom. We need a little more light up here. For some reason, it's dimmer than usual. Thank you. Appreciate that. Well, good morning, Grace Fellowship. I am really incredibly excited to be with you this morning. Somebody else is excited. A couple people over there are clapping. Yeah, praise God. There's always a few nuts in the crowd. I promise you, I'm not talking about football this morning. I promise you I'm not. I just wanted to promise you that I'm not. No jokes, no wisecracks, no anything. Remember, I'm an Eagles fan. There's nowhere for me to go. Father, protect our time this morning. Thank you that you are a great God. Enemies on the prowl, Lord. But you are greater. You who live in us is greater than he who lives in the world. So protect our minds, Lord God. Protect our hearts and our souls. And guide us on a path of righteousness for your name's sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have the honor of teaching you for the next five weeks on the topic of generosity and giving. And, you know, it's, it's really an amazing thing to enter into a process like this because I am the one who gets the most life change from my preparation. So I'm deeply excited to be entering into this area, in which I'm not an expert, but I've been studying the scriptures and I've been allowing God to speak to me. And I'm, I'm praying that God speaks to us together. So one thing I want you to know, for your entire life, you've been on a treasure hunt. How many of you have ever used a metal detector? Anybody ever used one of those? Was that not cool or what? When you first got that, I don't know, I mean, you got mine when I was a kid. It was probably the old kind from Radio Shack. Remember when Radio Shack was around? And it had those wires all over the place in a box that I had to put together. And then I'm just swinging that thing around and I'm looking for stuff. And I'm like, oh, beep, 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 beep. Oh my gosh, it's gold. <laughs> of course, I get my little shovel out and I start digging and it's a bottle cap. But the next one, and I beep, 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 beep. Oh my gosh, it's gold. Another bottle cap. Tin can. But, but you know, it's just something about being on the hunt, is there not? It's just so exciting to hunt for treasure. Can I tell you something? You have been on a treasure hunt your entire life. Your entire life, you've been looking for the perfect person and the perfect place. I know you have. Every single one of us looks for treasure on this hunt to find the perfect person and the perfect place. And if you are in Christ Jesus, you have found the perfect person. You have. But still you forget, like I do. And then you think, well, when I get married, that person will be perfect for me. And then you get on the other side of marriage and you realize, something's wrong. <laughs> something's wrong. This is not what I thought it was going to be. And then when you get set up to that vacation where you finally dream to go to that next place and you go, this is going to be the perfect place. And you get there and you realize you took yourself with you and there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And you realize that that perfect place and that perfect person, that you're not fully with him and you're not in that place yet. You're here. You've been given a mission. And your life is but a vapor. 
And you are just passing through this place. And if you know Jesus Christ, one day you will be in the presence of that perfect person. In that perfect place. And you will be made like him. And there will be nothing that you've ever experienced like that. I can guarantee it. There'll be no more tears. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more weeping, no more backbiting, no more pain, no more relational brokenness. You will be in the presence of God. And you will be in a place that is made for you. You will be home. But you are not home yet. You are living here. And the scripture says your life is but a vapor. You know what that means? That your life in the scope of eternity is not even like this. Just do that with me. Those of you who can click. Those of you who can, I'm sorry. You've been like, you know, envying people who can click all your life, right? But realize that your life is nothing more than this. It's not even that in the scope of eternity. And God has given you the gift of this life to prepare for the next one. Because the next one is going to be amazing. But you're not there yet. You've been given an assignment here, and if you are in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus has forgiven all of your sins. He indeed has rescued you from eternal condemnation, and he has given you a new life and a new identity in him. And your salvation isn't dependent on anything you do, more or less anything you don't do. It's dependent solely on what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you. He shed his blood for you, and he forgave you of every sin that you've ever committed or will ever commit. Past, present, and future, washed away, white as snow, new identity, sons and daughters of the Most High God. You are no longer affiliated with sin. You are affiliated with God. You've been given a new identity from Him. And this is good news of great joy. Being saved from your sins is not about you giving to God. It's about God giving to you. And God has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He has freed us from the bondage of our sin and from this world. And if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So if you're in Christ Jesus, you have a relationship with the one who is truth. And you are free. So why are so many of us still sitting in prison cells? Why are so many of us still acting as if we're not free when we are free in Christ? It's as if God has unlocked the door to the prison cell and many of us sit in the cell and we praise Jesus from the cell and we put our hands up high and we say, thank you, Jesus, for unlocking the door. Thank you, Jesus, for swinging the door wide open, but we're not outside the cell yet. Why do we live like that? When God says, no, 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 I came to set you free, you got to get outside the cell. You got to stop living like you belong to this world and start living like you belong to the next one because that's truly our destination. Can I tell you why so many of us still sit in the cell? Because we believe lies. We believe lies about ourselves about God, and about where life is truly found. 
And when we believe these lies, we act on these lies, and these lies cause bondage in our lives. I'm going to tell you, God is going after some big territory in the next five weeks. Because all of us, I believe, have bought into the lie of materialism. I believe the fastest growing religion in our culture is not Christianity. I don't believe it's Islam. I believe it's consumerism. And I believe every single one of us is buying into this religion. Why? Because the culture around you screams transcendence. They say, buy this next thing and your life will finally be better. Just have this and then you will really, oh gosh, if you just buy this gift for your wife, then she truly will love you. If you just have this kind of car, if you just have this kind of house, if you just live a particular way, then your life will be better. Can I tell you something? Life is not found in stuff. Can you say that out loud with me? Life is not found in stuff. And yet, we live like it is. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to me. Look, I've had a lot of things that I get excited about in my life. And you know, one of the most incredible things I get excited about is when Jesus Christ changes lives. But I still get excited about stuff. Anybody with me? I spent quite a bit of time preparing for our new fireplace insert this winter. You know why? Because I hate winter. Actually, I don't hate winter. I hate cold, and cold happens to come with winter. Anybody with me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The older folks went, yeah, yeah, yeah. The younger people are like, what, what? Young people are like, yeah, that's fine. Just you wait. Just you wait. It's not fine. God did not intend for us to live in this kind of thing. But I got a fireplace insert, and can I tell you, I was so excited about that fireplace insert. Why? Because it meant warmth to my bones. But can, can I tell you something? Jesus Christ warms my soul like no other. And the question is, was I more excited about that fireplace insert than I was about Jesus? Can I tell you, a couple days I was. I hate to admit it to you, but I was. And my worship was transferring slowly. Let me tell you something. You talk with greater excitement about anyone or anything else other than Jesus, you are guilty of idolatry. I'm going to say that again because that's a hard pill to swallow. If you talk about anyone or anything else with greater excitement than you do than Jesus Christ, you are guilty of idolatry. The scripture says, who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul up unto an idol or swear by what is false. You see, when we lift our souls up to idols, we hope in things that are created rather than the creator that is forever to be praised. But when we swear by what is false, we talk about other people and other things with greater excitement, greater love, greater adoration than we do Jesus. Folks, I've been guilty of this many times. I love my wife. I love to talk highly of my wife because there's so much good to talk about. But can I tell you something? If I get more excited about her than I do about Jesus Christ, I am failing her. I love my kids. They're beautiful people, but guess what? They're all broken. Anybody out there have a kid who's not broken? You're like, no, my kid's really broken. (laughs) 
You know, if we get more excited about the things of this world, if we have more enthusiasm for the things of this world than we do for the things of the next and our great king, we are guilty of idolatry. And the scripture wants to deliver us from that idolatry because that is a self-made prison cell. You might ask yourself, why am I not experiencing more joy in my walk with Jesus? Why? Because you are putting your hope in temporary things. And God longs for our eyes to swing together to eternity. My dad was a very wise man. He taught me about all kinds of beautiful things when I was little in very simple Western Pennsylvania farmer type ways. He was a farmer. That's what he did growing up. And he, he was a great man. He did a lot of wonderful things in his life, but he would just say things in very simple thing, ways. He'd say, Jeff, it's okay to have money as long as money doesn't have you. And I changed it later on in life, and I said, well, you know, I really don't have to have money in order for money to have me. You know, a lot of people don't have much money, but money has them. Why? Because that's their focal point for life. You see, stuff can have us in our hearts, even if we don't have the stuff. We still can be focused on the stuff. And Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, your heart follows your treasure, and you start valuing more and more whatever you set your eyes on. Now, some of you, when I said I was going to talk about giving for five weeks, your stomach sank. And you said, I'll sit through this one, but I'll be back in February, March, somewhere around there. I got my eye on you. I anticipated that some of you might feel that way. I want to give you some truth. I've been tasked by the elders of GFCS to teach this series. But all of us are of one heart and one collective mind when we say this, that we want greater joy and increased freedom in Christ for every single one of us as we talk about giving. To this end, I promise that I will teach too. There will be no attempts to use guilt and shame to manipulate you into giving more. There will be none of that here at Grace Fellowship Church. This series is about the joy of giving. And can I tell you something? Giving is the good life. Can you say that with me? Giving is the good life. It's better to give than it is to receive. We're going to talk a lot about what Jesus says about this area of giving, which is powerful and profound. Now look, if you feel conviction about your stewardship, we want that conviction to come from God and from his word. And can I tell you, Tracy and I have been deeply convicted in the weeks that I've been preparing for this. As a matter of fact, we've already been making changes that have been very scary for us. But glory to God. He's still changing these old hearts and old minds. What do you think, Spark? After all those years, he's still bringing life change to us. So we believe that godly sorrow leads to repentance that leaves no regret. So if you feel conviction during this series, there's room for all of us to feel that conviction. All of us together are feeling conviction, and we're praying that God will help us all together to repent because we want to be a little bit ahead of you, but we know this, that some of you are ahead of us in this area, and we just want to submit to God together. And as the elders of GFCS and the officers of the YADC, we take financial stewardship very seriously of God's money. All of our money is God's money. So we want to continue to walk as he money managers, his money managers here at Grace in a way that brings glory to him and to him alone. And I promise if you hang in here during this whole series and if you apply the word of God's truth to your life, can I guarantee you at the end of five weeks you will be freer and more joyful than ever before. I guarantee that. So would you be kind enough to join me as I pray again for our time?
Father, your word tells us that you are a good father who loves to see his children walk in truth. Your word also tells us everything that we own really belongs to you. Lord, help us today and throughout this series to get ourselves right with you concerning our stuff, our money, and our giving. Unearth our secret and hidden idols, Lord, and help us to live lives more fully surrendered to you and sold out to you alone. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, I want you to use your imagination for a few minutes. How many of you have an imagination? How many of you feel like your imagination slightly dimmer today after the game last night? I said I wasn't going to say anything about that. I'm so sorry. That was bad. Suppose you're a first century Jew, and you're walking staff in hand on a hot summer afternoon. You see a beautiful field that you know if you cut across it, you're going to make a shortcut, and you're going to reach your destination sooner. So you walk across this beautiful field. Was that me? Did my something fall off? Hello? Check, check. Am I good? Coming through. All right, super. So you're walking across. And here's my story. Take my story away. All right, off of equilibrium here. So, so you're walking staff in hand, and you walk across the field, and your walking stick hits something different than the ground. You hear this thud. And you realize that you've hit something different than the ground, and it caught your attention. So you stop, stilted, and you swing it again. And you hear a thud. And you realize there's something there. So you get down on your knees and you start to dig, you know, you pull out some kind of implement you might have had in your pack and you start scraping dirt to find out what's underneath the surface. And there, just inches below the surface, you see something. You start to uncover it and you realize it's a chest fringed in gold. And by the looks of it, it's been there for decades and with your hands shaking and your heart racing, you pry off the lock and you open up the lid. To your amazement, you see gold coins, gold and silver jewelry, and precious stones, a treasure more valuable than you could ever anticipate. Some wealthy person over 100 years ago must left this treasure buried in this field and died suddenly, its secret location dying with him. There's no homestead nearby, and you realize that that property is for sale. Now, before you begin to moralize and say, well, I've got to go right to the property owner, let me add, the property is owned by the government. That's just my little take on it. So the current landowner, the government, has no idea that the treasure is there, but you realize it would be unlawful for you to take the treasure. So you bury it back up again, and you head back home. And on your way, you realize that by law, whoever owns that land gets the treasure. But you can't afford to buy the property. So with the treasure in mind, you hatch a plan. You decide that you will sell everything you have, your farm, your crops, your tools, even your prize oxen. Everything you have will go towards the purchase of this land so that you can have this treasure. From the moment of discovery, your life has changed. Your heart has changed. The treasure captures your imagination. It's a new reference point for your life. It's your new center of gravity. You take every step and you make every decision with this treasure in mind. You must own that land. and You must have that treasure. This story is captured by Jesus Christ in a single verse found in Matthew 13, 44. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man finds it, is that the right one? 
No, it's not. What happened? I don't think my slides are in the right order. No, they're not. Okay. So the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had, and he bought that field. Now, don't miss the point. Don't miss the point of this. Some people believe the scripture is saying here that this has to do with the joy of someone finding the kingdom of God. Some people believe this has to do with Jesus' joy in giving everything he had to buy us back. Both apply. But this parable certainly portrays the joy of finding eternal treasure over temporal things. It far surpasses the cost what it takes to obtain something that is eternal. And the brief parable of the hidden treasure is one of the the many references that Jesus makes to money and possessions. Now, I want you to listen very carefully. Jesus Christ, 15% of everything that Jesus said had to do with money and possessions. You realize that he talks more about money and possessions than he does about heaven and hell combined. Why did Jesus place so much emphasis on money and possessions? Because there's a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about money and wealth. And in our culture... We want to divorce these things. We want to kind of separate them. And can I tell you something? There is a fundamental connection between your discipleship and how you think about God's money. Because it all belongs to him anyway. How we handle money and how we handle material wealth are indicative of our discipleship. As a matter of fact, many of us claim that God is the most important thing in our lives. How many of you would say that God is the most important thing in your life? Okay, now, I want to give you an assignment. I want you to go back. How many of you use a calendar of some sorts? Calendar in your phone or something like that? How many of you have a checkbook or some way you trace your money? Okay. Can I tell you what will tell you is the most important thing in your life? Your calendar and your checkbook. These two things will tell you if God is the most important person in your life and he is the most important thing in your life. If you look at your calendar and you realize your time is allocated and stewarded around your relationship with God, then you're on the right track. If you look at your expenses and how you keep track of God's money and you realize that God's money is being allocated for God's purposes, then you're on track. If you look at both of these and you realize that there are so many other things crowding out God in your life, There is room for repentance. Can I tell you, in my life, there's been many times where there's great room for repentance because I start slipping away. Look at your calendar. Look at your checkbook. You see, God's love for us does not depend on how how we spend our money. I want you to understand that. I'm not saying that. God's love for you is not dependent on how you spend your time or how your money. His love for you is sure. He died for you. You are deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven, accepted, and complete. You're a child of the Most High God. That does not change based on how you spend your money. That does not change based on how you spend your time. But how you you handle money, it does not affect how much God loves you. But how you handle money and possessions and times may very well be indicative of how much you love God. I'm going to say that again. How you handle your time and your money may be very well indicative of how much you understand what God has done for you. You see, when you understand the grace of God, then the grace of God comes to you, then the grace of God comes through you. 
I'm going to just with fear and trepidation try and change the slide and see if it's right. No, it's not. Okay. Okay, so listen to these words of Jesus in addressing Simon at his house. Remember Simon's at his house, uh, and Jesus is at Simon's house, and the disciples are there, and this woman comes in. We think she's Mary Magdalene, you know, and she comes in, and she weeps on Jesus' feet. Do you remember that? And she pours out nard, a very expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. And there's one disciple who has a problem with Do you remember who it is? Judas. Yeah, his colors become clear, do they not? But listen to these verses. This is Luke 7, 44 through 47. And he turned towards the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into this house, and you did not give me any water for my feet, but she wept. She wept my feet with her tears, and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Let me ask you a question. How much has Jesus Christ forgiven you? Do you know the depth of your own sinfulness? Do you know that you deserve hell? Do you know that you deserve death? And Jesus Christ gave you life. He bought you back at a price. He forgave you of all of your sins. Do you really understand that? Oh my gosh, if you understand how sinful you are, then you will love so much more. You see, he's saying those who know that only a little is forgiven, they're going to only love a little. But those who know the depth of their forgiveness will love extravagantly. Can I tell you this oil, this nard that she poured out, it's worth 300 denarii. That's 300 times a laborer's daily wage. In today's currency, if you take $8 an hour, which I think is where we're close to, eight, day, eight hours a day for 300 days, that's about 20,000 bucks. This perfume was worth about $20,000, and she poured it out on the feet of Jesus. Can I tell you something else? This nard was probably this woman's dowry. This woman probably didn't have that kind of money, but this is all that she had that she was placing her future hopes in, and she poured it out on the feet of Jesus Christ. Why? Because she saw the value in who he was. She saw the value in his kingdom. She knew what forgiveness meant to her. She loved him because he first loved her. And gave himself up for her. Judas had his own ideas about the money. I'm sure the other disciples were all sitting around going, what are they doing? What's going on here? We could have taken that money and given it to the poor. By the way, that's not what was in Judas's heart. You know what was in his heart, don't you? That money was about him. I could have taken that money and used it for myself. Do you hear the heart of the traitor? I could have taken God's money, and I could have used it for myself. But Jesus accepted this woman's offering as an act of great worship to God. So how we give then, when all, everything already belongs to God, it really matters to him. It really matters to Jesus Christ how we give. In Luke 3, among the crowds that gathered to hear John the Baptist preach, three different groups asked him how they should prove their repentance. So, you know, John's out there, he's eating locusts. You, you know, this picture of this guy's a wild man. You know that, right? 
John the Baptist, he's out there eating locusts. Anybody ever chew on a locust? I'm sure somebody, no? Nobody? This dude was eating locusts and honey. Well, the honey part's pretty good. You'd have to dip your locusts in the honey, I would imagine. But um, he's a wild man for out there for the kingdom of God. And people are coming to them, and he's baptizing them in the river right there for the repentance of sin. And he's saying, there's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not even fit to untie. He's talking about Jesus, the Messiah. But three different groups ask him how they should prove their repentance. This is in Luke 3. Listen, verse 11. Everyone should share clothes and food with the poor. Verse 13. Tax collectors shouldn't pocket extra money. Verse 14. Soldiers should be content with their wages and not extort money. You know what the crazy thing was? Nobody even asked John about money. Nobody even asked John about material wealth. All they said was, how should we prove our repentance? And you know, the very thing he talked about in each of these examples was wealth and money. Why? Because how we handle money demonstrates spiritual transformation. When you start seeing this in the pages of the scripture, it starts jumping off everywhere you look. You cannot divorce how you handle God's money with your discipleship in Christ. Listen, in Luke 19, how many remember the story of Zacchaeus? Remember that little dude? You probably know that little song about him. I won't sing it, I promise. But remember, Jesus takes notes of him, and then he invites himself to his house. He says, I'm going to sup with you today. I'm going to have dinner with you today, Zacchaeus. Come on down from there. And this guy is so filled with honor, Zacchaeus, it says here, stood up and said to the Lord, Lord, look, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him four times the amount. You know how insane that is for a tax collector to say that? Lord, Lord, here and now I have, give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody in my past way of life, I will pay back four times the amount. Listen, Jesus said to him, today... Salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Zacchaeus' new approach to money proved that his heart had been transformed. He says these things, look, I'm, I'm selling all I have, what I have, I'm giving it to the poor and I'm paying back four, four times what I cheated. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands. Have you ever cheated anybody out of money? Have you ever stolen from your workplace? Have you ever taken something that doesn't belong to you? Have you ever got like paid back too much at the grocery checkout and just decided to pocket the change? Can I tell you something if that's true and all those things have happened to me in the past? I've been guilty of those sins. Can I tell you something? Demons delight when we don't trust God in those ways. And all of heaven grieves. But when we trust God and our hearts are changed with God's money, all of heaven rejoices. Can you imagine the angels that were attending to Zacchaeus at the time when he said these things and they were singing glory to God? Why? Because one man's heart had been changed for the kingdom of God. Listen to Acts 2 and 4. I don't even know where I am on these slides up here. Um, I, yeah, okay, there we go. Okay, so in Acts 2 and 4, we see Jerusalem converts. They're easily, eagerly selling all their possessions in order to give to the needy. Listen, 44, all the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bed in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And their Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can I stop? Does this sound like a party? 
Does this sound like a party to anybody? Just raise your hand if you think it's a party. It says, they were all together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. This is the way the kingdom of God lives together. This is the way the kingdom of God loves together. Do you notice the joy and the freedom in their approach to their material possessions? They go, God is king. It's his anyway. Here it is. They don't hold it tight. They give it away. Listen, verse 32. This is in 4, I believe, or whatever. All the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power and apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work within them. I would say so. That they were, there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to everyone as they had need. You know, the poor widow, she jumps off the pages of Scripture. Why? Because she gave two small coins. And Jesus praises her faith because she gave all that she had. In Mark 12, it says, she gave out of her poverty and has put everything she had in. Do you know some of the greatest examples of giving in the scripture are poor people? Do you know that? You know, when I, when I was growing in my discipleship, and I'm still growing in my discipleship, we all are, but I remember there was a time that I didn't give. I didn't really give to people and to the kingdom the way that I do now. And I'd always say, well, I don't really have enough. I really don't have enough. I'll give when I get enough. And can I tell you how faulty that is? Why? Because this woman never had enough, and she gave everything she had. The greatest examples of people giving in the kingdom of God are poor people. Because everybody else gives out of their wealth. But Jesus took note of this heart and said she gave everything she had. Look, in stark contrast, let's see if I can keep going here. Yeah, Luke 12. In stark contrast, Jesus spoke of a rich man, you probably know this story, who spent his wealth on himself, and he planned to store up for an early retirement and easy living. Does that sound at all vaguely familiar? I'm going to say it again. He planned to store up in his barns enough that he would have an easy retirement and just a life of leisure. That's What's communicated in our culture is the good life, folks. That's not the good life. Not according to Christ. Listen to Luke 12, 18 through 21. And he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Listen, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. Can you say that out loud? You fool. How many of you would like God to say those words to you? You fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. You see, God called this man a fool and as he told, his life would be demanded of him, that very life. What was the great indictment against this guy? What was the proof of his impoverished spiritual condition? Listen very carefully. He was rich toward himself, and he was poor toward God. 
The story of the rich young ruler tells us that a man pressed Jesus on eternal life. And Jesus, knowing the man's heart, felt great love for him. Remember, he comes to Jesus and he goes, Lord, what must I do to inter- inherit eternal life? And he goes through the, the uh, you know, commandments and the guy says, well, all these things I've done, which is, yeah, I don't think so. God doesn't know himself very well. He says, one thing you lack. He goes, sell all your positions and give your money to the poor and then come follow me. You know what the scripture says? This guy slumped over, this is my interpretation, in sullenness and sadness and in depression, and he walked away. Why? Because he was too married to the things of this world to be thinking about the next one. He actually experienced great sadness holding on to his stuff. Now, if we can compare this guy with the traveler who in his great joy went and sold everything he had, the emotional condition of the one who gave up everything for the kingdom of God is joy. And the emotional condition of the one that held on to everything as if it was their own was deep sadness and depression. I'm asking you, do you want to experience the joy of the Lord in your life? then let go. Let go and let God. Can I tell you how this flushes out? I'm not up here just saying, give more money to the church so Trace and I can get a new car. That's not what I'm saying. You know, a lot of people get suspect. They start crossing their hands. We don't need cars. We really don't. We don't need anything else, actually. We're blessed. We want to get rid of stuff. We want to deaccumulate. Anybody with me? But I remember Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, was talking about the gift of simplicity. And he had just bought himself a brand new 10-speed bike. This is, by the way, when 10-speed bikes were the thing. Back in the dark ages. Probably in the 70s. And he had saved up, and he bought himself this brand new 10-speed bike, and it was sitting in his garage, not a scratch on it. And he couldn't wait to ride that baby. But he decided he first glowed a little bit, and he called his neighbor over and he said, hey, man, I'd love to show you my new bike. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I'd love to see your new bike. And the guy goes out and he goes, oh, my gosh, that is beautiful. He said, I've always dreamed of having a bike like that. But, but I, I just could never afford it, man. Good for you, Rich. Good for you. You got that bike. Man, that's awesome. And Rich is standing there and he's saying the Holy Spirit gets talking to him. And the Holy Spirit says this, give the bike to him. And Rich goes, no flipping way. But wanting to please the Lord more than himself, being married to the kingdom of God more than he was to himself, he actually moved in the spirit and through some choked up tears, he goes, I want to give you the bike. And he said the liberation in his soul was so incredibly freeing that his neighbor finally conceded and left the garage with his brand new bike. Angels in heaven were rejoicing. You know why? Richard was not married to the bike. He was married to the Lord. Do you understand? Do you have ears to hear? Do you have eyes to see? For the Lord wants us not to be attached to anything but him, not dedicated to anything but him. But sadly, this man who walked away, he chose lesser and fading treasures. He walked away from the greater and lasting ones. How about you? The rich young Euler was not willing to give up everything for the greater treasure. 
But our traveler in the field was. Why? Because the traveler understood what he would gain. Do you feel sadness for the traveler? Don't. You're like, well, he gave up everything, Jeff. But he gained everything. I read a story this week of a young man who'd come to Christ, and he was so excited for the glory of God and so enamored with missions that he had decided in his heart to sell his house that he had fully owned and give all the money for the glory of God. You know what happened? He went to his house church, and guess what they did? They talked him out of it. Of course. Of course you would. He's too young. He's too zealous. It's foolishness to actually think about doing something like that. No, it's not. Don't ever talk anybody out of outrageous generosity for the glory of God. Why? Because their sights are set on the right thing. Can I venture to tell you that that house church was acting not for the glory of God, but for the glory of the evil one. They were trying to talk that young man out of a heart that was filled with generosity. You see, the traveler understood what he would gain, and we forget that sometimes our sacrifice here on earth pales in comparison to what our reward in heaven will be. His cost-ratio benefit was compelling. He gained far more than he lost, and you'll miss the whole little phrase if you miss this. In his joy, you miss everything. Because God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because we need to see the kingdom of God for what it is. We need to see Jesus for who he is. And we need to align our hearts with the true treasure of the kingdom. And when we do, then everything starts to fall into place. Any earthly treasure we part with in order to share the gospel or care for the poor or show the glory of God is well worth the exchange. Listen. This is really where we get the treasure principle. This is Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heavens where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can you please say that last verse with me? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Say it again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Close your eyes and say it again. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's your memory verse for this week. This is the word of God. And Jesus says, where is your true treasure? Where do you get the most excited What what do you see as being the most fulfilling thing in your life? Is it your stuff? Is it your money? Is it your new car? Is it a house that you're dreaming about? What is it? Or is it my kingdom? Jesus says, do not store up earthly treasures. Why? Because they're bad? No. He says they won't last. That's why. Listen, Proverbs 23, 5. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Anybody say amen to that? Sooner or later, it will all just disappear. Jesus doesn't warn us about earthly treasure because it might be lost. He warns us about earthly treasure because it will always be lost. Christ's financial forecast for treasure on earth is beyond bleak. He is bullish about investing in heaven. He's absolutely convinced that if we invest in heaven, it will have eternal consequences. Now, 
he commands that we not store up treasure on earth, but he also commands that we do store up treasure in heaven. He's just telling you to stop storing up your treasures in the wrong place and start storing them up in the right place. Jesus wants you to act out of enlightened self-interest. Now, this is something that you need to understand something. God wants more for you than you want for yourself. I'm thoroughly convinced of this. He absolutely wants more for you than you want for yourself. Jim Elliott, a missionary to Papua New Guinea, if many of you know his life story, it's profound. He said this phrase, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. I'm going to say it again. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain which he cannot lose. You know what Jim Elliott gave? His entire life. He died at the hands of aboriginal tribes sharing the gospel. He gave up what he could not keep to gain what he could not lose. Of course, Christ himself is our greatest treasure. And when we break through the gates of heaven by the grace of God, we are going to see him and be with him. But we will be rewarded in heaven based on the things that we've done here on earth. This is clear throughout scripture. Our greatest reward is a person, his name is Jesus. The second one is a place, that's heaven. But in addition to that, God says you'll have friends, power, pleasures, and all kinds of other things in heaven as a result of the way you spent your life here. And he says this, he promises that those who sacrifice on earth will receive 100 times as much in heaven. Wouldn't you say that's a pretty impressive return? If you had money to invest, Right now, you had a thousand bucks. And somebody said, Give me a thousand bucks, I'm gonna give you a hundred thousand bucks back ten weeks later. Would you do it? That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying it's a hundredfold. He says, Store up for yourselves treasures in heavens, not because it's right, but because it's smart. It's the smartest thing to do. Listen to the C.S. Lewis quote. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires for ourselves not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink, ambition, and sex when infinite joy is offered us. We're like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in the slums because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, God wants us to focus on eternity and to invest in that which has lasting value. John D. Rockefeller, anybody remember that name? He was one of the wealthiest men to have ever lived. And after he died, someone asked his accountant the question, how much money did John leave behind? The accountant was pretty smart, and he just simply replied, he left all of it. That point is clear. You may be ready to hear and understand the secret of the treasure principle. You see, Jesus takes this simple truth, you can't take it with you, and he adds on this stunning qualification. He says, you can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Can you say that out loud with me? You can take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. Anything we try to hang on to here will lost, but anything we put in God's hands will be ours for eternity. I can guarantee you this. Whatever treasures we store up on earth will be left behind when we leave. Whatever treasure we store up in heaven will be waiting for us there when we arrive. Financial planners tell us that when it comes to your money, don't think three years, think 30 years. Christ, who is the ultimate investment counselor, takes it much farther. He says, don't think about how your investment will be paying off in 30 years. Think about how it's going to pay off in 30,000 years. 30,000 years. You can't take it with you, but you can send it on ahead. And if you embrace this revolutionary concept, God will use it to absolutely change your heart 
and your life. I'm going to ask as we close in prayer here for you to actually take out a handout that you were given on the way in. It's either a blue or a green sheet. I don't really, it doesn't mean anything at all. We just ran out of blue and we went to green. I want you to do me a favor, and this week I'm going to ask you to do some homework. Here's the first thing you need to do. Pray and search the Word of God for personal application and pray for this body as we continue to move in this way. Two, honestly go before God with the questions that you see on your handout. Now look, this is a very dangerous handout. These are very dangerous questions. If you're serious about your discipleship with Christ, I would like you to continue just to go to the Lord and start asking some of these questions to the Lord. Look on the back. Look at number six. Lord Jesus, have I overaccumulated? Have I allowed unwise spending and accumulating debt to inhibit my giving to you and to your kingdom? Have I said there's never enough left to give while maintaining spending habits that make sure that there's not enough left to give? Number seven, Lord, have I fallen for a lie that I don't have enough to give despite the fact that the greatest examples of giving in Scripture were poor people? Number eight, Lord, I sometimes have wondered why you're not blessing me more financially. Could it be that I've been spending money on myself rather than giving you the first fruits? Have I placed myself under your discipline? These are hard questions to ask yourself, but I can guarantee you if you go to the word of God, he will lead you in a path of righteousness for the namesake of Jesus Christ. And he will change your heart to actually take joy in the greatest treasure there ever was. Jesus Christ. Let's stand together in way of closing. Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We ask now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would have your way in your people. Guide us, Lord, into self-examination in light of the truth of who you are and what you've set in place for us in heaven. God, help us to live our lives now in light of eternity. Help us to know that everything we own really belongs to you. And help us to dedicate everything back to you and your kingdom. We pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.